Hi, this is The Recovering Perfectionist. I'm Claire Barton and you're in the right place at the right time. If you're starting to feel like some of your perfectionism is really getting in the way of you moving forward, getting started or finishing anything, this is absolutely the right show for you. This is rehab for your perfectionism, baby. So grab yourself a glass of wine or a cuppa and let's get stuck into it. Hi everyone, it's Claire, the Recovering Perfectionist, and I've got the amazing Trudy Pavlovsky, who's a multi-passionate about content creation, course building, and mentoring coaches, amongst about a zillion other things. So thank you so much for coming on today, Trudy. I'll hand over to you to do a bit more of an articulate version of who you are and what you do. <laughs> uh, well, as we discussed, I'm not modest. I think I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I think you're pretty awesome too, by the way. Thanks. Uh, but I've, all, I've got a massive creative streak and I really love um, serving and supporting people. And I do that professionally through coaching, through supporting coaches to be better coaches and to help people leverage their time and their skills and their experience by organising their amazing knowledge and putting them into really connected, well-crafted, client-outcome-driven courses online. It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. And I'm having a chat with you about mine next week, actually. So I know. Watch this space. Watch this space. I can't wait to pick your brains about all of that sort of thing. So yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Um, And I'm interested to delve into a little bit about your past before we go Mm -hmm. into all the other stuff about um, perfectionism and that sort of thing. So I've heard um, from you that you had another business before this one, and there were some major lessons learnt and some major reflections that you're doing at the moment. Can I talk us through all that stuff? Okay. Um, Well, my former business is called The Dream Initiative and I have so much to be grateful for with that business because everything that I do now, um, the seeds were planted and the skills were developed in that. So what it was, it was actually a youth training business focused on supporting teenagers into becoming confident, balanced, successful adults. And we did this through a combination of online programs and experiential games-based training. So that's where people might have seen me dress up as different characters and tap into different archetypes. So all of that's come from games-based training. Now, it was an interesting interesting business and and the biggest there was quite a few lessons one of the biggest lessons I I took from that was getting stuck on following somebody else's model as the only way that you can do your business Mm. Um, I had a business partner as well who was very much no we need to do it this way because this is how our mentor does it when it wasn't working and when I wanted to make changes, was very resistant because very focused on you have to have proof and evidence that it's going to work. Right. Even though intuitively I knew in my gut and I knew in my heart that if we made some key changes, the business would have been able to thrive. We were also caught in a space of somebody's marketing model that is that was the only way that you could market. Mm. So before I discovered connecting, actually connecting <laughs> with people, what? like really connecting with people you can't Um, do marketing if you're connecting can you oh my gosh like being human (laughs) it was very much a Facebook driven Facebook ads only driven thing where it was get on the phone and sell and if people didn't buy your programs in the first go burn them get rid of them it was a very aggressive um 
what I noticed, look at on reflection, there was some levels of manipulation in that process Mm -hmm. as well. It was very expensive. In one year, we spent $12,000 on Facebook ads. And um, with the, and also investing in costumes and building games. It was, it was a very expensive business to run. The biggest lesson that I, one of the biggest lessons I got was that that became a part of my identity and people were like, you are games-based, you are saving teenagers, you are that person, whereas my business, my business is what I do. It's not who I am. Mm. And while I love my business, taking it on board as my identity of who I was made it, when it wasn't working, and when the business relationship wasn't working and when everything was falling down and when the blocks to changing it and came up, I still hung on to it. Mm. And realistically, that business probably could have been let go 18 months to two years sooner, mm-hmm. would have potentially saved me a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of time. Um, I don't regret it because of the skills and everything that I learned mm from doing it but not being able to trust your your gut not being able to experiment with processes and evolve um, and being very rigid in how it had to play out and how it had to be set up and work that stopped the growth and really um, caused a lot of financial stress as well Um, And in that business, the whole time that I was doing it, I was actually supplementing my income, hosting trivia. Um, Mm. I was a retail trainer. I ran some adult training with the games-based training as well. So it's something that I've noticed a lot of people seem to think that after, you know, a year in business, you should be able to be fully self-sufficient and supported. Mm. After eight, this would be, you know, eight years in business, this is the first financial year where I haven't had another job. Mm, so, yay. you know, being able to relax on the rules mm. and the rigidity that everybody else puts in on you must have, you should, you have to, this is how it has to be and how mm. it has to play out and look. Yeah. In, in the last uh, 14 months, I've created a business that's, really starting to thrive now and I've taken a little bit from column A, a little yeah. bit from column B yeah. and I'm trusting my own gut around what I'm actually doing and how things are evolving. Love it. But it's and just being able to relax and yeah. go, yeah, that's not working Tough for me. Process. I'm going to do it this way or I'm going to test and measure and see what works yeah. and have yeah. fun with that. I want to come back to that. I want to come back to the experimentation things. I'm a massive believer in that sort of trust the process, but I also agree it has been a process and I've only got here because I've gone <laughs> through the process, but I want to come back to that. Yeah. But first of all, um, I just want to go back to when you said that your business wasn't you, like it was your business, there was your business and there was you. And this is a really interesting one for me because there's there's kind of the two, two polar opposites of the spectrum of people who are kind of saying, this is me and this is my business and we're separate. And then there's other people at the other end saying, I am my business, that you are mm. your business, if, especially with solopreneurs and that sort of thing. And I'm not really sure where I sit with it because both, both kind of have their merits and, you know, some, and I totally understand with what you're saying is if and when there are those hard days in your business, if you completely have aligned your identity to that business, you're going to feel like you have also kind of stuffed up or there's mistakes in it's, that sort of thing. Um, 
for for me when it was at the the thing where people were like you can't stop what you're doing even even though it was right. detrimental to me financially yeah. it was detrimental to my mental and emotional health when parents wouldn't sign their children up even though there was a huge need for them whether it was coaching or working with me i was taking that personally mm. you i believe that if you take the results of your business as a personal failure Mm. that's where there's an issue Mm. if you can look at your business and go okay this is what I what I do to make money it satisfies my soul I love seeing my client outcomes I love helping people but at the end of the day I decide that this isn't what I want to do anymore I can walk away and that's Mm. okay that's good but if people come up to me and say all all you are Trudy is a course designer you help people build courses or you mentor coaches and that's all you do Mm. when all of a sudden that's the only space in which I can operate to me that's detrimental Mm. because it blocks the creativity it blocks the flow it blocks the ability to experiment and branch out and that and if you want to change if you turn and go you're not I've got what I need from this. I don't want to do it anymore. But if you can't walk away because people are shaming you and that and that was a huge problem with what I did, I felt shamed that I wanted to leave, that mm. I was letting people down and I'd, I'd become a martyr to my business. Crazy. Yeah. And it's so I was true of people who are I was in... at breakdown burnout point because yeah. I was working other jobs. I was scattered all over the place that the rejection of parents not wanting to put their kids in the program because it was my, it, I'd identified it, this is who I am, it became so personal. Mm, yeah. That's where I have the, the concerns about people embodying it as this is all of me. Yeah, right, yeah. It's a part of who you are and what mm, you do, yeah. but we have so many levels and so much more to ask. Yeah. That's. That's my experience. Mm, you know, beautiful. everyone has their I, own I definitely sort of agree. Thing. And I think um, we probably culturally kind of get stuck in that thing, whether it's a business or a job or something that, you know, when you meet a new person, it's one of the first things that you, you ask and are asked usually, hi, what's your name? What do you do? Like that's the thing. Mm. But it's not what do you do as a person. It's where do you make your money? That's really what the it's question is. It's what you is. do to make money or what you do to fill your time. Mm. And but, there's such a social thing about that, isn't it? Which is a bit disappointing, um, I guess, in some ways. So, yeah, I really get what you're saying. That's really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. just, just a perspective. So. Yeah. No, I really like yeah. it. I really like it. I totally get it. And so we'll just go back a little bit to the experimentation because I've been talking a lot about this recently. And I, um, I'm also, I guess, like I said, trust, that pro- trust the process has been my favourite hashtag for the last six months or so because... Um, I've really sort of noticed that, you know, in the first year or so of business, every time there's an up, I'm like, I'm winning. This is amazing. And then it's always followed by a really distinct low. And then it's like, oh, I hate my life. I hate my business. This is crap. This isn't working. I'm just going to go and do something else, all that sort of thing. But then, you know, once that happens enough times, you kind of go, oh, okay, that's just the process. That's just what's happened. I'm up here. So I'm going to be down there in a minute and then I'm going to be up there again. And that's okay. Like, it's just that process, right? But you can't but that get okay with, with the, the identity. I think around, you know, if you're identifying your work as, you know, oh, I've failed. It's like I look at it now and I go, okay, well, I've implemented something. It didn't work. So there was something in what I created that didn't work. 
that doesn't mean that the idea wasn't valid or it doesn't have merit. Maybe I've launched something at the wrong time. Maybe it's the wrong price point. I've got the choice now. If something didn't work, maybe I can tweak it or maybe I can go, I'll put that on the shelf for later or maybe I'll just like trash it and put it in the bin. But I don't don't sit back now because it's that whole perfectionist thing going, oh, my gosh, will it work? Will it not work? Like what if I launch it and nobody buys it or what if I do this thing? And it's like because it's that what wanting to make it perfect and wanting to know that this thing is going to work because it's who I am and if it doesn't work it's personal it's a rejection um taking that emotion out of it and loving what I create and loving what I do Mm. but just knowing maybe not everyone else is going to love it I did a soft launch of a course nobody bought it I'm still going to finish building it because I'm doing it just as much for me as for everyone Mm. else yeah but maybe I didn't put enough energy into it or the Mm. timing wasn't right like I'm not going to sit back and go nobody wants to buy good girl bye bye good girl stories oh I failed it's like (laughs) I just need to promote it better maybe I need to charge more for it because people think at a low end it doesn't have the value yeah (laughs) I don't know but test and measure see what works play with it like so true I've just brought so much more fun back into my work now my Mm. business and just pulling off those little pressure points that yeah. I put on myself yeah. and now it's it's not personal it's not yeah. oh that failed it's like oh I'll do something else yeah and I think that's such a big thing when I think about perfectionism for me and I think for a lot of people that it's it's sometimes perfectionism is not finishing a thing because you're always trying to do more right but sometimes it's not getting started because you're not exactly sure what the end product exactly looks like and how many like if, if you use an example of a course like I want to do a course but I don't know how many weeks it should be. I don't know what the content should be. I don't know if I should do slides or if I should do live calls or if it should be in person or blah, blah, blah. Like there's 5 million variables in everything, especially something like an Mm. online course. And the more you kind of try and overanalyze and, and, you know, try and work out exactly what to do, it just prolongs the actual getting started and trying like yourself up you get and fear and and it's just it's a real shame I think it's such a shame because then there's all these people who are missing out on that awesome thing and if you're if you're truly following the energy and you truly believe in it and you truly think there's value in it you just have to get started like no matter what that looks like is to just get started and try it out and do like many versions of it It doesn't matter use your brain yeah one of the biggest things is, and I love learning how the brain works, and when I got taught this, I was like, oh, my gosh. The reason we go into overwhelm or we get afraid or we don't take the action is quite often it's our hind brain because we haven't decided on that first couple of steps. The hind brain's going, well, I don't know what this is. I'm afraid of this. I'm, it's, I'm uncertain. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, because I can't keep you safe because I don't know what your first actions are. Mm. I'm going to get you to watch Facebook instead or, <laughs> you know, scroll through Facebook for three hours. Fault. <laughs> Quite often that's one of the things, if you, if you think of something that you want to create, you put your hand on your heart and go, okay, is this what I really want to do? Mm. And your heart will go, yeah, this is, this is it. You've got to get the, the, the idea filtered through the three levels of your mind mm-hmm. to be able to actually take the action on it. Now, the first thing, your hindbrain is designed to keep us safe from big shaggy animals back in the cave days like so if you get an idea write it down because your hindbrain deletes nine out of ten of your ideas anyway Mm -hmm. like so as soon as you think of something write it down yeah then start creating an image in your mind so your hindbrain's like oh what's this thing start thinking of the first step start creating an image of how it could look when it's done 
because the midbrain's all about pattern matching and it's all very visual and imagery. So then by the time the idea gets up to the high brain, like your neocortex, it's like, okay, cool. Like we know we're okay to do it. We've got a bit of an idea of how it looks. We've got a few couple of steps. Let's start completing the action and create the mm. all the steps and create the goal. Because most people go to logic brain first. But if you haven't passed it through your hind brain, you don't have an image of it. Any goal, anything that you want to do is just going to be 10 times harder to create. So and good. when I yeah. learned, it's like, and you can even put your hand on your gut because, you know, so much starts in our gut and I'm doing mm-hmm. a lot of study around, you know, gut health and stuff as well. Hand on your heart, write the idea down, think of those first few steps, the first few things you need to do in the first 24 hours to get that idea moving, mm-hmm. boom. Then all of a sudden you get an image of it and your brain's going, oh, okay, cool. Mm. So it's just working those levels in the yeah. way that we're not taught to do because we're yeah. taught to set goals very logically. Yeah, right. Oh, it's so good. I know I've, I've um, chatted with so many people about this kind of following the energy and listening to your intuition or whatever you call it and that sort of thing. And it just makes so much sense when you talk about like, it as well. the physical yeah. and scientific <laughs> side of it. It's actually a thing. It's not We're just. Joining. Yeah, I absolutely so love it. Absolutely love it. Now, I want to keep moving. So when um, you and I were chatting about what to talk about, because we knew we wanted to talk, but we kind of couldn't work out an actual topic, you started yeah. throwing out words like schemas and perturbation. And I was like, yep, done, that'll do. But I don't really know what those things are. <laughs> so you want to talk us okay. through those concepts All as right. they pertain to perfectionism. <laughs> I, I learned about perturbation for the first time. It's probably about four or five years ago now. And, you know, we're, we're in, we live our lives in our, our little comfort zone. We're here. And then when we push against our comfort zone and we're about to break through and do something new, we get this feeling. It's like butterflies. We might feel sick. Mm-hmm. We get the sweaty palms. You know, our temperature will break out into a sweat. And, and perturbation is this feeling that quite often we identify as stress and like <gasps> and pressure and it's bad and it's like my body's responding to this new thing and I feel like this feeling is freaking me out. But when we look at it, it's like, okay, when we get this feeling, we're in a space where if we can find a way to just push through, we're going to have a breakthrough. We're going to change. We're going to push through our comfort zone and we're going to transform. And so like trans meaning change, form meaning shape. So we, we actually, we change shape. We become a new person a new a new level of being Mm. and when we once we've expanded that comfort zone it doesn't go back but most people when they feel this feeling they they feel it like it's a warning or something bad is going to happen or it's stressful and they sort of like run back to their comfort zone Mm. so I don't know have you ever done a um tandem skydive right no, I haven't yet. If, okay. I've done a tandem, so it was the best thing ever. Yeah. But, you know, you're strapped to this guy and he's behind you and he's like, it's your turn, getting close to your turn. You're getting ready to jump out of the plane and your hands are sweaty and you're freaking out and you're going, what am I doing? You look out right. and you're like, you're literally like, oh, shit. I'm crazy. <laughs> and then you get pushed out, right? It's, it's like that. All of a sudden you're like free falling through the wow. air and it's just this, and you're only free for like 10 seconds, but it feels like forever. And it's the most, it is a life-changing experience. Mm. Like I look at perturbation like that. Like yeah. it's a tandem skydive. You can turn to the guy and go, no, nah, I don't want to do it. 
but, you know, he's just going to push you out anyway. So yeah. you need to find a way to push through that comfort zone and break through and transform. So is and this what you, some people call up-leveling? Up-leveling, you know, pushing through your upper limits, you know, mm. that ties into the schemas as well. Um, but it's it's being willing to push through that that stress feeling to take the action to change your life and to not stay in your comfort zone. Which is scary, And when you embrace it and you go, okay, this is, um, I've I've got to find it. And that's where it's like, you know, when I teach perturbation to my clients, we talk about having a coach, having somebody Mm. to be that, like, person behind you to push you through if you can't Mm. do it on your own. Yeah. Um, I honestly believe everyone needs to have a coach or a mentor or somebody to help them through that. Totally, Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's that recognising that's the feeling of a champion about to change their life. And would it be right to say that, you know, the more you do that, the more you push through, the easier it becomes or the less uncomfortable it becomes? I think you kind of know aware, the difference between stress and up-levelling, between danger think, and actually hmm. something cool being on the other know. side? I don't know if it's easier, but when I hit that point, I have an awareness and it's not like me going, oh, I'm scared, I'm going to run away. It's like, oh, hang on. I think I actually posted it on my Facebook page the other day. It's like I, I'm feeling some perturbation. Mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel like there's something's changing. I haven't quite identified what it is yet, but I feel like there's an up level about to happen. Mm. Um, so when you can identify it and you're aware of it, you're less likely to run away from it. Don't know if it makes it easier, <laughs> but... You can, at least you can reach out and get the help know and what it support. Is. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, knowledge and awareness is the key to change. Yeah. And so if we filter that down to people who would identify as a perfectionist or someone who's kind of, you know, trying to feed their inner perfectionist but also get shit done. Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> like what's, what's the thing? When you get to that point and, and you've kind of got that gut feeling like, oh, this is a bit scary, like I can see the other side of the glass wall but I just can't quite kind of get there and I, I'm just going to add a few more bits to this or I'm just going to rehash this whole thing or whatever. What sort of advice, like with people who you work with, I'm sure you come across a thousand perfectionists as well. And when they're getting to that kind of up level, what sort of advice do you give them or what sort of exercises do you give them to do to kind of to be able to keep moving forward? Yeah. Okay. Well, first thing is being able to identify it. Mm. Um, Talking to someone. So like if somebody's got an opt-in or a course or like one of my students is like, I've kind of done my course, but I'm not quite ready to launch yet. Hang on a second. Where are you at? What have you done? Right. Let's talk through it. Um, that's where, like I said, having a coach is going to help push you through. But there's things that you can do for yourself, like um, like a, a, a really simple writing activity. Um, and this is a, a, something one of my mentors, uh, Benjamin Harvey, taught me, but I think he got this or from Dr. John Demartini. Mm-hmm. It's not my original thing. Um, I'm a huge believer in credit source. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's um, write, write yourself a list before you go to bed of 100 reasons why you deserve to do whatever this thing is that you're holding back on doing. So let's just say it's launching your course. 100 reasons why you deserve to launch this course. 
So I deserve to launch this course because I've worked eight hours on it, 20 hours on it. Um, It's going to help people. It's going to do this or 100 reasons why I'm allowed to launch my course. Mm. So what you're actually doing, and you write this before you go to bed and you write nonstop. I like, I'm an, I'm an overachiever sometimes, so I aim sometimes to do 150 things. Yes. <laughs> but the reason you, you, I know, recovering, recovering, recovering overachiever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the reason you do that is because what you're actually doing is you're helping rewire the neural pathways in your brain. So you've got this pathway that's going, I don't deserve this, or I'm not allowed to do this, or there's whatever it is that's stopping you. Mm-hmm. And by writing this and writing nonstop for an hour, you're actually rewiring the pathway because the hand hand and head yeah. connection, yeah. you write until your hand aches. Mm-hmm. You And if you have to write the same reason 100 times, you write it, but you write all of these reasons because you're rewiring your brain to say that you're actually allowed to do it, mm-hmm. that it's okay, that you're worthy, that whatever the thing is that you're not doing, why you're actually allowed to do it. And the pain that you get from writing is telling your brain that this is important. It needs to pay mm. attention. And you write for an hour, like wow. 100, 150, minimum of 80, but I always encourage people to do more just to be sure. Um, and then you read it out loud to yourself. So then you've got the the, the visual, the order. you feel it like you're, it's this whole embodiment thing of like the neural pathways, the physical, the cellular, and then you go to sleep and you have that in your brain, mm. in your head when you go to sleep, then you wake up in the morning and you read that list again and then you go and take action. Yeah, right. Oh, I love it. I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so simple, but it's sometimes mm. it's the simple things that actually can help you the most yeah it doesn't have to be complicated but then yeah if you need someone to reveal get someone to look at what you're doing and then someone objective somebody not just the neighbor down the street but get somebody who knows their stuff because if you give if you give something to someone who's not your niche or not trained and they all of a sudden they're going to give you all their feedback as well (laughs) it's just going to spiral you down yeah (laughs) yes yes I used to do that I've learned the hard way So yes, that's my my take on it. Awesome. No, I really like that tip. I'm definitely going to give that a try. Um, so now, tell me about schemas. I don't know that I've like. It doesn't look like a totally unfamiliar word, but I have no idea really what it means. So um, tell me about schemas and how they get track triggered and and what they hold you back from. So I I had a um, a mentor who used to go and see a um, therapist, and she came back and she shared these with us and it's some people know them as upper limits um some people know them as maladaptive schemas um but we'll call them upper limits because that's what most people identify them as um and there's a particular kind of upper limit and then there's a trigger phrase so if you say these things to yourself you know that you're being um you, you have have this schema and you need to work through it so i'll go through them really really quickly um i do have a some ebooks on them that I can share with people if they want to know a little bit more or read the big read the big leap uh, by Gay Hendricks as well Mm -hmm. Um, but burden burden's an upper limit so you push against this feeling of burden and if it's I don't want to be a burden on other people you have a burden schema if you say that a lot if you don't ask for help because you don't want to inconvenience anyone and if you're not asking for help and it's detrimental to your own work it's an issue that you need to address because most people are happy to help 
people ask me questions, I'm happy to help, but if people don't ask, I can't. Um, We then have disloyalty and abandonment. And a lot of entrepreneurs have to work through this because if you're saying things to yourself, like I have to conform to the standard of my family, wanting or doing more than um, what they do, it's a betrayal of them. Um, If you go to family outings and people say to you, oh, well, you've got your own business, you've got heaps of money or, you know, you work too much in your business, we never see you, those kinds of things can trigger you to actually shrink Mm. in your work and because unconsciously, we're, we're human. We're, we're designed to be connected in with that family unit that back in the day, the survival on your own was a lot harder. So we, we want to stay connected to whether it's our biological family or our friendship circles. One of the biggest things I had when I started my first business, I had no money. So I couldn't go out with my friendship circle and they all got really aggressive. Mm. And I ended up leaving that friendship circle because felt like I was constantly being punished for wanting to follow my dreams so I don't have a huge disloyalty and abandonment schema <laughs> I'm like I'm just doing my thing See deal ya. with it oh bye, bye Alicia <laughs> yeah but a lot of people have that and there's that push pull around you know how much can I talk about or do or mm. you know I love my mum and she still asks me when I'm getting a job so but I still <laughs> keep doing my thing you know so I don't have that schema then there's reliance So if you don't think you can do your business um, without following everyone else's rules, without checking in with somebody all the time, like where you can't even make a small decision without checking in with someone, you have a reliance schema. Mm. That's detrimental to your business because if you're missing opportunities because you can't make a decision fast, that's going to hurt you. Mm. Um, We have fundamentally flawed. Now, most people have some sort of level of this schema um, and if you're saying to yourself, there's something wrong with me, I can't do this, what am I doing, oh, my gosh, like if you're constantly beating yourself up, that's fundamentally flawed. Mm. Like if you think that there is something wrong with you, like even if you're like, oh, what am I doing this business for, I can't do this, like everyone else can do it better, I'm just, you know, that little voice can come in sneakily and undermine us. But when you're aware that it's a schema, like then you're like, oh, hang on, you know what? I can actually do this. I am doing this. Look at how much I've already done. Yeah. I'm just going to do the thing. Um, then you can can work through that. And then the final one, and I am going through these really fast because I am aware of time. Yeah. Um, there's tension. So if you're tense or you're stressed and you're like, well, I'm uncomfortable with this situation. So everybody else around me has to conform and like support me in this and manage that. Like if tension is having a negative impact on yourself and around people around and your relationships around you, then it's a problem. Mm. But if something's going wrong and not working and you're like, <sighs> and then all of a sudden people are scared to even speak to you, <laughs> that's going to have an impact as well, mm. especially on your personal relationships. Yeah. And going into tension can also um, trigger a burden or disloyalty or like yeah. reliance. And, you know, tension's a big one to be aware of. So like with all my clients, I'm like, if you're not able to manage your stress, all of the other things can kick in. So it's really important to, you know, even if you just meditate for five minutes in the morning or 10 minutes and just get used to being in that space, mm. all of a sudden your other schemas, you can step into the moment, the present time and start managing them. Yeah. And there's other ways to deal with them. But I think, like I said earlier, awareness is the key. 
And if you find you're not taking action or you feel you have to ask people or you're really doubting yourself or you can't talk about your business to your family and it's Mm. potentially impacting your results, being aware of those things is the first step to being able to say, hey, hang on, is this a real situation or am I stepping into a schema because of something that maybe happened in my past Mm. and now I've embodied it and taken it on board that this is how all of these situations are. Yeah. So... Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I was just going to say, it sounds like um, something that's pretty complex and there's lots of facets to it and there's lots of ways that it can show up and um, kind of like the personality testing, I suppose, all those sorts of things. You know, you kind of need someone who really understands the whole um, uh, framework of it to kind of guide you through where, you know, some of those issues might be Mm. for you and that sort of thing. So, Yeah, it's really interesting. And and like you said, it's probably known as lots of different things. And there's probably a bit of overlap, I feel, with um, inner critics and that sort of thing, like how the inner inner talk and self-talk kind of I haven't studied a lot around inner critics, Mm. but I imagine that from what I've read, it's that whole, yeah, especially especially the fundamentally flawed stuff and the... Interesting. I chatted with um, Liz Scarf about inner inner critics on the podcast um, way back in the beginning. And she, she was, it was really interesting, but I just noticed that some of the self-talk that you were just talking about that might've come up underneath some of those schemas are kind of similar to the inner critic self-talk that you might hear about the, why am I doing this? You can't do this. You're going to fail. You always fail. It's sort of thing, like all those kind of different personalities within your inner critic. So it kind of um, aligned yeah. with the schemas. Really interesting. I love it. So my mind is just completely blown up by perturbation and beautiful words for up-leveling and breaking through glass ceilings and all that thing. So, um, yeah, I'm, I am I really enjoyed that chat, actually. I, I hope it hasn't been too overwhelming for people. I, I am a so much fascinating person. There. You really are a fascinating person. You are a very interesting person. You're a student, a student of a life. And, um, See, there's it. no fundamentally flawed schema here. I'm No. <laughs> You're I used to not but be did like you that, have it? I used did to you? be the most shyest, modest, yeah, right. can't talk about myself person. But yeah. Yeah. To be online, to share your message, to connect with people, you need to be able to move past those schemas, past the perturbation, past the imperfect uh, fear of taking action if things aren't perfect because that's how you get seen and get your message out. Mm, exactly. And, and we I think need to is, get our message out. Exactly. And I think in if we, like, filter it right down to the online business world, it's kind of that's that's the first step that really gets through to whatever the next level is through that perturbation, I suppose, is that getting visual. And it's the scariest one for so many people about showing their their photo, using their name, um, saying things like I All and the me judgment of we and us. With putting All a selfie sort of up. Yep. And yep. I used to be really scared of my, my ex seeing what I was doing, my former business partner and my former mentors because I'm not connected with them at all anymore. Mm. And that was my choice to just totally cut the ties and for the first six six months or so last year, like I was small. Yeah. I was playing large in the groups, but on my business page, no. On my, what if they see? And then it was kind of <laughs> like, so what if they see? Yeah. Who cares? Like, yeah. do they actually really care? Like the people <laughs> that love so me true. will love what I do and the people that don't love me will unfollow or block. Exactly. 
See ya. But it's, it's a process <laughs> to get there. It is and a I process. Totally, I totally get it. It's a and process and I went experiment. And people are probably a bit surprised because <laughs> yeah. I'm very confident online. But did you say you're an introvert? Process. And if I can do it, everyone can do it because I am by nature an introvert. Yeah, I am too. And I, I'm the same. Like I'll say to my friends that I'm an introvert or whatever and they're like, what? No, you're not because I'm always yeah. talking and I'm always laughing and I'm quite outgoing and I come across quite, come across quite confidently. But, yeah, I'm a total introvert, but, you know, there's different But in sort a of circle is very different to when you've got, yeah, the big, wide internet. Exactly, world. exactly. So, awesome. Fabulous chatting with you. How can people find out more and follow you? We'll obviously put Thank all you of your links me. in show notes. Um, but how can people get in touch with you and find you? I mean, it shouldn't be too hard to find you, but probably the, the best place the, to be. Yeah, I'm pretty much everywhere <laughs> in groups on Facebook. Um, but just probably the easiest thing is to go to Trudy Pavlovsky Official on Facebook. So that's my business page. Um, updating my website needs a bit of love. So, yeah, come find me on Facebook. Awesome. That's, that's the most fun. You'll see that's me do crazy live videos and weird yes. offers. And just my, my personal and my professional life have merged. So, yeah. <laughs> You can stalk me Love there. It. I'm on LinkedIn. Like, just put my name in. I'll come up and we'll stalk yeah, you. We'll find stalk me you where everywhere. you find me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Trudy. It's been awesome Thank chatting you with for you. Having it's me. Kind of blown that my was... mind, and I just want to go away and process it all. I'm actually recording a webinar in about an hour's time, so I need to get into that space. Meditate. But I can't wait to just kind of yeah, take it all in and and um, try and work out what my schemas might be, and then probably get back in touch and you know cry on your shoulder about it or something. <laughs> Seriously, kidding, I'm always kidding. I'm always here. So. <laughs> awesome! Oh, right. You know where to find me. I sure do. <laughs> Thanks, Trudy. Bye. Thanks, Claire. Bye. And that is absolutely it, my lovely. So I hope you've really enjoyed the episode. It was great fun recording that one. If you'd like to connect, I'd love to stay in touch with you. I have a beautiful Facebook group at bit.ly forward slash the Recovering Perfectionist Crew with all capital T R P and C. Also, I have a massive goal this year to get 50,000 downloads on my podcast and I've got a YouTube show as well. So I'd love for you to help me out if you can by either subscribing to the podcast, if you have a couple of favorite episodes or if there's one favorite episode that you've really enjoyed, I would love you to share that with anyone who you think would get as much out of it as you have. And while you're in iTunes, if you can jump in and give it a review, that would be amazing. The show is also available over on YouTube. The links are always in the show notes, so you can head over there. So it's The Recovering Perfectionist on YouTube. There's a channel for that as well. So jump in and leave your comments. You can watch all of the episodes in video. So if you want to see what we look like and our crazy hand gestures and facial expressions and all of that sort of thing, absolutely jump in. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel show as well, and then you'll be kept up to date when there's new episodes that come in there. So yeah, love your support. All right, big love. I'll chat with you soon. Bye.